0: all right good to be here this morning and i i just want to give just a brief intro a couple of comments and then we'll pray once again luke we've started a study in the gospel of luke last week was the first week and luke under the inspiration of the holy spirit wrote this gospel to theophilus so that theophilus might have certainty concerning the things that he has been taught and believed. so here's theophilus he's He's struggling in his faith and he needs some assurance. And a whole book of the Bible is written to him to encourage him. And by extension, us. The Holy Spirit has written this that we too might be encouraged and strengthened in our faith. What a merciful God. Rather than saying, believe it because I said it once, he meets us in our weakness. Now, last week, Brett, Pastor Brett, in his excellent sermon, spoke on the first four verses. And I just want to quote one part of his sermon. He said, what is this gospel about? Jesus. In the pages of this gospel, we are going to encounter the most amazing person who has ever lived. We're going to come face to face with the most amazing truth. We are going to meet Jesus, who fulfilled exactly what was promised beforehand and fully accomplish the work of our Savior. There is no work left for us to do to achieve our salvation. Isn't that good news? Well, let's pray, and let's ask God to bless our reading now. My prayer is going to be simple, and I hope you're praying for me. You pray for me that God would just help me as I declare his word. And and I'll pray for all of us that we would have eyes to receive, ears to hear. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not left us without a testimony, but you have spoken to us directly on the pages of this Bible that we have. What a privilege. Lord, would you open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Netflix series, The Crown, There is a scene where Queen Elizabeth tells her newly engaged sister, Margaret, that she would need to wait another six months to announce her engagement. At that time, shortly after World War II, England's presence as a world power was waning. Almost all monarchies around the world had crumbled and were being replaced by republics, socialism, and communism. The British monarchy was holding on by a thread in a whirlwind of change. and it threatened to demolish the entire system. Following protocol was crucial in preserving what was left of the monarchy. Elizabeth was pregnant, and the baby's birth had to come unrivaled. The limelight needed to be on the queen and the baby, and not to be shared with any other palace announcements or celebrations. Now now contrast this with... The birth of Jesus and the birth announcement, the second person in the Trinity is about to be born in this world as a baby, a human baby, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And yet, this announcement is preceded by another announcement, that John would be born. And, and John is just not an ordinary man. He would be greater than any human being up until that point. He would even be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. It's almost as if God is saying, I want there to be as much fanfare and excitement for John's birth as possible. He will be pointing the way, after all, to the one who will shine so brightly that John will pale in comparison. Our text this morning is Luke 1 5 through 25. And this is where the narrative begins. So look with me at verses 5 to 7. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And both were well advanced in years. It all starts here in Luke's gospel, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. See, the Bible intersects with the real world, the world we live in. And in this world, God is working to fulfill his purposes. This book was written just 30 years after the death of Christ. And so he's writing about events that many in their lifespan had experienced firsthand, but all knew people who had experienced firsthand. Josephus, writing about Herod, he was a first century Jewish scholar and he was a contemporary of Luke, who wrote this book. He wrote this Herod was a capable king, military strategy, oratory ability, and subtle diplomacy. He was brilliant. This is a loose quote, by the way added to that he was a masterful builder he was responsible for a number of structures that dominated the skyline he was manifestly capable crafty and cruel murdered his own mother-in-law brother-in-law and three of his 12 sons as a means of consolidating his throne and just sheer jealousy it was said that it was far safer to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. That's who he was. Yet, despite the historical significance of this polarizing character, Luke simply uses him as a reference point in the days of King Herod, king of Judah. What do we know about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth? Suffice it to say, they had the right job the right family connections, and they lived righteous and blameless lives. If there was a most likely to succeed award in high school, they would have gotten it. But fast forward 50 years, and instead of being happy, healthy, and wealthy, they were suffering. Verse 7 says, But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. J.C. Ryle, writing about this verse, said the following, the full force of these words can hardly be understood by a modern Christian. To an ancient Jew, this would be about as bad as it gets, both physically and spiritually. You can only imagine what it would have been like for them and how misunderstood they would have been to be serving God faithfully, seeking him, and yet have no kids and as a result no future posterity no help in retirement so on and so forth so how do they respond they simply plod along serving the lord verses 8 to 10 now while he was serving as priest before god when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So let's just take a moment and picture this. There were thousands of priests divided into 24 divisions. And each division had hundreds of priests. And Abijah was of the eighth division. And they were called on twice a year to serve One week in the temple. Many of these priests would have other jobs that they would do during the rest of the year. But twice a year, each division was called on to do temple service. And on this particular occasion, lots were drawn and Zechariah was chosen with the highest honor. And that would be to present incense in the Holy of Holies. i rephrase that. In the holy place. And there was only one more holy, holier place, and that was the Holy of Holies. So this was the court right outside the Holy of Holies. And these priests would go in and offer incense. So Zachariah was chosen. Having been entrusted with the responsibility of burning incense, he would have proceeded toward the golden altar with two assistants. One, one of the assistants would clear the altar. The other assist, assistant would have a golden bowl in which they would have hot coals that were from the the altar of the burnt offering and he would place those hot coals on the altar of incense and then the two assistants would withdraw leaving zachariah there in the holy place by himself and he would be the priest as close to the presence of god as any other person other than the high priest who would enter the holy of holies once a year this is the most important day of his life, even the most important moment of his life. And at the signal, he would pour the incense into the coals and it would burn. And, and the aroma would rise symbolically into heaven, mingled with the prayers of both Zechariah and all the congregation gathered outside. And it would signal the fact that God delights in the prayers of his people. It's a sweet-smelling aroma to God. You can read about this in Psalm 141, Revelation 5, Revelation 8. But turn with me to to verses 11 to 14. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. In a nutshell, the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah, and he was afraid. He was terrified. This is the same angel that appeared to Daniel 500 years previously and hasn't been heard of since. And there he is, face to face, with Daniel. J.C. Ryle commented on this, and he said, The vision of an inhabitant of heaven reminds us forcibly of our own imperfection and of of our natural unfitness to stand before God. If angels are so great and terrible, what must the Lord of angels be? All of us will face him, on that final day we will experience an unmeasurable quantity of joy or indescribable terror but here he is face to face with the angel and the angel standing before zachariah spoke and said do not be afraid Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Zachariah and Elizabeth had been praying that God would grant them a child for years, for decades. This prayer went unanswered. And yet now at this moment, at this precise time, when Zechariah raises his prayers beyond his needs to the needs of the nation, God answers, and it's bigger than he could have ever imagined. It was not just about fulfilling his joy and Elizabeth's joy, but about the joy of the entire nation. This is an answer to prayer for a desperate couple and a desperate world. The Messiah foretold in Genesis 3.15 and throughout the entire Old Testament was coming, and their son, John, will be the one who prepares the way. Can you even imagine how they felt, how John felt in that moment? For Zachariah and Elizabeth, the answer to their prayer was delayed so that it could come with exponential blessing. So how was he feeling? We know. The text tells us. He didn't believe. But let's, let's read on to verse 15 to 17. The angel said, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a, 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 for the Lord a people prepared. So there's four comments on the angel's word to Zechariah. This man, this, this boy born to them, John, would be greater than any person who ever came before him. Luke 7, 28 says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Just think about that for a moment. If you got the announcement that you were going to bear a son who would be the greatest person who ever lived on the face of the earth. This is an amazing thing. Greater than, greater than Joseph, than Abraham, Moses, Ruth, Esther, David, Daniel, Elijah. Greater than all of these, the greatest human being who would ever exist, who had ever existed, would be their son. Number two, he must not drink wine or strong drink. Just a quick comment there. This isn't some temporary gig. This is much bigger than that. He is set apart by the Lord, for the Lord, for his entire life. Number three, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. His prophetic role began in utero. When Elizabeth met Mary and Mary was pregnant with Jesus, John leapt in Elizabeth's womb confirming who Jesus was. So his prophetic role began in the womb. Number four, he will go... Before him, in the spirit and power of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient of the wisdom to the wisdom of the unjust, to make ready, or the Lord a people prepared. The last of the prophetic books, Malachi, some 430 years before, had prophesied that Elijah would come that God would send the prophet Elijah. And I'm going to read that. It's Malachi 4, 5, and 6. These are the last words of the Old Testament. And then there was over a 400-year silence. And it was, Behold, I will send you, Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. So just like Elijah, he will bring a message of, Judgment and warning. But unlike Elijah, his will be final. This man, John. Look with me at verses 18 to 23. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that they had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them. And remained mute. And when his time of service ended, he went to his home. Zachariah was a godly man, and yet he struggled with doubt. How shall I know this? Let me paraphrase that. I'm not going to believe this unless you prove it to me. That's really what he was saying. This thing he had been praying for for 50 years. He meets an angel face to face. He's terrified, but he struggles to believe. I don't know about you, but I find that really encouraging. There was no excuse for someone like Zacharias. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. He knew what God had done for Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Hannah, how God had opened their wombs. And he didn't believe. The Bible is full of true believers who are at times overtaken by unbelief. And yet God, in his mercy, is patient. However, God did discipline him. And and don't mistake discipline for punishment. He was not punished, but he was disciplined. And in this case, the discipline was pretty severe. His mouth was stopped for nine months. And, and I, could, I think we get a sense later in the text that, that he couldn't hear either because others had to make signs to him. And so he was kind of shut off socially from the world for nine months for his unbelief. And yet when it finished, he was like gold refined by fire and he praised God. And we'll see that in the coming weeks. Discipline, not punishment. But he didn't believe and yet God continued to enact his plan. Verse 24 and 25, after these days, Elizabeth, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among people. So I just have a brief conclusion and and then four application points. This is a pretty straightforward text. But let's let's contemplate for a moment the lengths God went through through and and through all this supernatural stuff that happens to John's family in order to to put things in place for the birth of of this child. Four hundred and thirty-year prophecies fulfilled, making old barren people fruitful. And giving them a son in their old age. And he's just the messenger. Just the messenger for the coming Messiah, the one who would prepare the way for Jesus himself. We worship a God who remembers, the God who keeps every single one of his promises. So four simple applications. Bible says: don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. So God help us to to walk away with some practical application. I'm just going to give four. You might think of some others, but I encourage you to walk away with with some way to respond to God's word this morning. Number one, Herod was a polarizing political character, and this whole chapter could have been written about Herod and what it was like to live underneath his rule. And yet he's briefly mentioned as a footnote Don't get distracted by politics. Politics can be incredibly distracting. Kings and leaders come and go, but God's purposes march on unhindered. Don't get me wrong. I could never support an administration that favors the killing of the most vulnerable citizens or the most vulnerable people in society, unborn babies. I could never support that. But... How often do we find ourselves, what I have a problem with is is being more concerned than that about masks and immunizations. So there are problems. We're dealing with incredible political problems today. 3,000 children Unborn children are slaughtered every day. That's a big deal. But that said, the Messiah, that said, when you are living in circumstances that make no sense to you and you're completely powerless in the face of great injustice, what are you to do? Keep worshiping the Lord faithfully and without distraction, year in and year out. And that's what we see Zechariah doing. Great disappointment. Political upheaval. What does he do? He just continues to seek the Lord faithfully. Number two, praise God for our position in Christ. Luke seven twenty-eight says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God. Is greater than he that's us if you are here today and you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ then you are greater than John the Baptist you see John pointed to Jesus to the one who would come but for those of us who know Jesus we have been washed clean By virtue of his death and resurrection, we've been united with Christ. We've been adopted into his family, and we are co heirs with Christ himself. That's our position as New Testament believers. Praise God for your position, praise him daily for our position in Christ. Number three. God will respond to the prayers of his people. Read John 14 through 16, if you get a chance today or this week, and see just how many times Jesus says, Pray. Whatever you ask, it will be given to you. Pray in my name, and it will be given to you. God is a prayer hearing God, he hears our prayers and he answers them and he responds to individuals fulfilling individual and corporate joy. He's big and complex enough to do that, and we can fully trust him. You might not understand why he's not answering your prayer when you pray it, but know that God hears, and he will bring all things together for good. Trust him. Pray. Be like the persistent widow. In Zach- Zach- Zachariah's case, the answer was delayed so that it could come with exponential blessing. The only time God will not answer your prayer is if it's according to selfish things, just what James 4 says, and he, and he knows that won't help us. And so he's not going to answer those prayers. But often he will delay because the answer he has in store for us is so much better than what we're looking for. So pray trust rest i am absolutely convinced that those closest if we could say it this way closest to the throne in heaven will not be the men and women in the most visible roles but it will be those who day in and day out quietly pray for god's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven isn't that incredible we as people have the opportunity to true greatness and you don't have to have the right gifts you have to be you have to just trust god know that he hears prayer and pray imagine if we were i know that you pray and and i pray but imagine if we really gave ourselves to prayer imagine the things that we would see let's be a praying people because God responds to the prayer of his people. Number four, Zechariah's unbelief was a big deal. Unbelief is a sin. It's even a bigger sin for a leader. But God didn't strike him down. He was patient with him. Sometimes we think, I just need more facts, and then I'll believe. Zechariah had all the facts in front of him. Prophecy being fulfilled, an angel standing before him, and he still didn't believe. At the end of the day, it comes down to trusting God and the promises he has made. You want to battle against unbelief? Read the Bible. Meditate on the promises God has made. And when you find yourself struggling to believe, just say, God, forgive my unbelief. Please help me to embrace what you have written so clearly here. And just be encouraged. Proverbs 24 says, The righteous man, though he falls seven times, rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Don't despair when you fall into unbelief. Repent. Accept God's forgiveness in Christ. And go on praising the Lord. What a great example we have in Zechariah. Let's pray. Let's thank God right now. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord, where we can look at your word. And Lord, there's so much here. We're just skipping across the surface. God, let us be men and women, boys and girls, who treasure your word, who love it, who read it, and who see in its pages that everything points to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who would come and give his own life our sins Lord forgive our unbelief forgive how distracted we can become about many things Lord help us to be people who worship you day in and day out joyfully waiting and Lord we are waiting for the most amazing thing Jesus coming again you have promised it he will come again and he will wipe away every tear and will spend eternity with him in a perfect government in perfect joy and we thank you lord bless these dear people lord and i pray the lord that you would make us a praying people who trust jesus for all he's done and all he will do. In Jesus' name, amen.